How do social entrepreneurs and small businesses create an authentic brand people love so they can get the edge they need to stand out, create predictable revenue, and compete against the big guys? That's what we're here to discuss. I'm Adam Force, the founder of Change Creator, and this is the Authentic Brand Mastery Podcast. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Authentic Brand Mastery Podcast brought to you by Change Creator. This is your host, Adam Force. Um, so the last episode that we put out, if you missed it, um, I did a conversation where I talked about what 88% of people said that they need in order to make a purchase. Um, so it's a big conversation on trust, all right? And I talk about some of the data and some of the things that we can actually do to build that into our business, right? So if you missed that, go back, check it out. I think you guys will get a lot of value out of that uh, discussion. Um, and this week, we are going to be talking uh, with my good buddy, Sean, who is the founder of actually two brands. One is the Entrepreneurial Chef, and the other is Pastry Arts. Um, and he has a really interesting story where um, about building these brands, and I think there's a lot for you guys to pick up on. Um, so we're going to get into that and talk about how he's developed. And, you know, one of the last summits he ran, I don't know, he had 20,000 people show up just on the first attempt, right? So now this is becoming an annual thing. So what's really making that kind of stuff work? And we want to dig into this because it's going to help you guys build your brands. All right. So some really important stuff that we're going to get into here. Um, guys, we have, as we reach the end of December here at the time of this recording, um, we have one spot left open, okay, in our brand studio. Um, and I'm really looking for actually an e-commerce brand to work with. Um, We've had some incredible success. I have some, one of my e-commerce brands is actually converting new leads at a, a conversion rate of 82% right now, and they're getting paid for it, right? So um, we want to replicate that system. We want to build your leads, your sales system, um, and really step up your brand. So if that's you, if you have an e-commerce brand and you're looking to really kind of um, take it to the next step with your online presence and your sales system, uh, I want to work with you closely to make that happen. And I will continue working with you until we are profitable with that uh, process. So reach out to me. Just go to changecreator.com and you'll find our services. You can book a strategy call. Let's just have a quick chat um, and we'll figure out if it's a good fit. All right, guys, let's dive into this episode. Okay, show me the heat. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Sean, welcome to the Authentic Brand Mastery Podcast. How you doing today, buddy? I am doing excellent, and I am so excited to be here with you. It's an absolute honor, my friend. Yeah, yeah. So full transparency, Sean and I met um, a few years ago, and you know we're both kind of just stayed connected because we were in the media space um, with our businesses, and you know we build our networks, right? So Sean's a super cool guy, and he has a hell of a journey, lots of big successes and wins building his brand, multiple brands, to be honest. Um, and we're going to get into that stuff today because there's a lot of really important insights that I think we can all take away from Sean's experience that will give demonstrate basically real life examples of some of these key things about building your brand. So uh, Sean, why don't you first just give everybody that little bit of a nutshell. Um, I always like to know like the point of drama first, because I'm a storyteller. So I always say, what's really exciting right now? And then back us into how we got there. There we go. Yeah. So, so today 
I uh, own Pastry Arts Magazine, which is a multimedia platform in the, the food space. Also another one called Entrepreneurial Chef, uh, working on a third entity for launch next year. So it is, it, it's fast moving, it's fun, it's exciting. I wake up every day enjoying what I do, yeah. you know, that, that thirst for life. And uh, I'm blurring the lines between work and personal life, to be honest. It's a, it's a very interesting place to be in because what I do for work, I enjoy personally. And some of my hobbies of, of what I enjoy doing are now turning into my profession. So it's, it's a very, very, very cool space to be in. I love it. And and tell me just a little bit before now, Entrepreneurial Chef, was that your first, that's the first business or did you do anything before that? I don't remember. I had a couple of failures for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so right. so ba- basically I've, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit and I worked at a culinary school. I won't go way, way back, but let's just start with the culinary school. I started yeah. there in 2005 and I worked there until 2016. I actually bounced to another place for about two years and then back over to that one. So all in all about eight, nine years, uh, but I worked in the education space. So even when I bounced away from the culinary school, I was in an educational space. Yeah. So about 10 years, uh, almost 11 years total in education. And uh, I got the bug for education, but then I was laid off. Um, Now, prior to being laid off, as I mentioned, I had entrepreneurial spirit and I started a couple of like side hustles, if you will. So uh, I won't even name them. It's not even important, but I want to say there was one, two, three, probably in total, two big ones, but then uh, three in total. And they, they had a little bit of success here and there, but it was really nothing. And then I was laid off in 2016 and I kind of had one of those back against the wall moments where I said, I can either try and find a job, get into another place, or I can use this as an opportunity to start something. So <laughs> So that's that's what I did. Now, here's where the drama comes in. I had I I, I want to say it was close to a full blown identity crisis about 90 days after I was laid off. And the reason was because I had worked in the education industry for so long that that became a part of my identity. And so I kind of had one of those moments where I realized that if I was not in education, then who am I? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and it was it was a tough pill to swallow. And and from a drama standpoint, I was married in September of 2015. Um, I was notified that I was laid off by December 2015. I was going to be laid off by January 2016. I was laid off by February. My wife became pregnant with our first child. So in six months, I went from married, top of the world have this career to I'm laid off to now we're pregnant. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. so, so to be honest with you, that, that was the catalyst right there. And, and I feel like the entrepreneurial spirit coupled with some of the side hustles was what really prepped me and the, the kind of real world experience I got working in the education industry that all prepped me for what would have come uh, starting 2016 when I decided to launch Entrepreneurial Chef and then taking through all the way till now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I think a lot of people have that moment of identity crisis because we have a story that we create about ourselves that we believe. And once that story is like shooken up and like your life changes, like, well, if I'm, if I don't identify myself as this now and I'm not this story, then what am I? And it's kind of hard to kind of see yourself in a new perspective. Right. 
But um, yeah, we kind of plow through. And, you know, so Sean started Entrepreneurial Chef, which was an app, uh, which was a magazine app on Google and, you know, iTunes. And that's where we connected to because we had Change Creator Magazine, which was Google iTunes. And we were like, actually, that's what it was. It was we were on the same platform. That's right. right. We use the same service provider. (laughs) Yeah. And the service provider asked us to connect and some of the top customers and asked us to give them feedback. And then we got connected that way. Yeah, that was it. That was it. So uh, from that point on, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, So tell me, I know there's been some big changes, obviously, over the years, and we've had had those conversations. I want to share some of that because, you know, just like you mentioned, there were some failures up front. You know, I did, too. I was like I had a hemp water bottle. I had the Blue Dot Post Media Company. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Right. (laughs) And that's funny because you're a super smart dude. You came out of corporate like John's a master like salesman and like he knows his shit when it comes to uh, business. But when you're shifting from corporate to entrepreneurial and you have a clean slate, it's a totally different ballgame. It is. It it really is. Um, You you think you're prepared for it. Like I, I remember thinking when I worked in uh, like that kind of corporate position, as you said, I remember feeling so confident that I could step out at any time and do my own thing. And and the problem, it's funny. I was thinking about this this morning. There was uh, something that came up and and it was, I started thinking about how when things change that a lot of times we don't adapt to what is now and we think about how it should be right so and there's some people that caught get caught up into this frame of mind on uh you know something may happen and they and they reject what happens the reality and they think about what should have happened what could have happened all these different things and so and so i feel like i feel like you know when i stepped out i didn't accept the reality right away but i was so confident prior to stepping out on my own that I could do this, but wow, is it a totally different ball game when you step out on your own and, and the realities hit you and then the emotions hit you. And, you know, it's very, you know, what I've been able to do in a, and I've totally redesigned my life, right. Completely redesigned my life. When you look at the steps on paper, it's relatively easy. Right. I'm going to say that again. It's relatively easy when you look at the steps on paper. Yeah. yeah. The problem is executing against the emotions that hit you day in and day out, week in and week out. Emotions about money, emotions about family, like all of the different life things and navigating it. It's exactly right. And in in working towards something that is so uncertain. That's the other thing, working towards something that is so uncertain. And that's the the hardest part is when do you fish? When do you cut bait? When do you push forward? When do you stop? Like, so anyway, I won't go on a tangent there, but yeah, it's it's very difficult. So for anybody that that is in that in that path right now, just to, you know, I feel for you. I understand it, but, but in, in a lot of ways, no you just have to keep either, right. It's kind of like, unfortunately you, there is a lot of uncertainty, so you can get mentorship. That's why people do push that. It's not just about getting a sale and all that. It's like the mentorship is valuable. Like, cause you can mm-hmm. save a lot of trial and error, which, you know, I've spent in my first couple of years, a hundred thousand dollars. My wife's like, uh, where'd all our money go? Like that's stress, dude. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, not in a good place, you know? Um, because now you're using your own money and you have a lot of other responsibilities to worry about. So you're right. The emotions really spike 
and they can dictate your decision making and emotional decision making in your entrepreneurial journey. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. So, but I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take you off track. So back, yeah, you were saying good, entrepreneurial chef, essentially. All right. No, I think that's also helpful. Like that's kind of like, you know, there's a lot of people, whether you're earlier, you're even in your th- third or fourth year of business, you may still be struggling. That's not you see a lot of people like, oh, I just started my business. And in the first year I made six figures. Like that's not the normal thing, guys. Like, so don't feel bad. Just kind of like stay the course. Like you may change the um, the approach, but you don't need to change the destination. You know, this stuff can take time and don't put so much pressure on yourself. Just be smart and try to reduce your risk and you'll figure it out. Right. <laughs> so um Let's get into more of the, the brand development stuff now that we got that part of the conversation out. Um, I You had a big transition and I know you are a guy that also likes to, like when we're building magazines, they have to have a good experience for people, right? Or they're not going to want to use it or you're not going to get good engagement and you don't, all that stuff, right? No word of mouth, whatever. And we also have to have like an impact, make a good impression with the visuals and stuff. So I'm curious because Sean made a transition from Entrepreneurial Chef to Pastry Arts Magazine. And the intention was not to stop producing Entrepreneurial Chef in the beginning, right? So can you just talk about that transition and what points of clarity came to mind for you and 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 like why you made the changes you made? So just kind of walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say this holistically for everybody, because what, what we will talk about now is, is a multimedia platform or a magazine business, right? And, and someone may think, well, how is that applicable to me? That's not what I'm doing. But but it, so I'll say this before I jump into that. At, yeah. at the end of the day, what I thought about was, how do I get attention? What am I going to do with that attention when that attention comes? Yeah. Right. So again, that is the foundation of from from like a business, right? So whether you have a product that you're selling a widget, whether you've got a media company like myself or you know magazine, like how do you get people's attention and what are you going to do with their attention, right? How are you going to keep it? Are you going to sell them? Whatever that's going to be. So that said, when it came to Entrepreneurial Chef, you know, I, I came out of a culinary school and the thing that I knew was that culinarians, people that know how to cook or bake, they are very entrepreneurial. They want to have their own restaurant. They want to have their own catering company. They want to have their own business of some sort. So that's where the idea of Entrepreneurial Chef came in. It's basically, it was it was a platform to help food entrepreneurs become successful, build and grow a business to become successful. All right. Yeah. So uh, once, once I got into that and kind of built that up, I then connected with a couple of individuals who then explained to me that the pastry niche, professional pastry and baking niche, but I'll just sum it up and say the pastry niche uh, was lacking with a multimedia platform similar to Entrepreneurial Chef. And this is where the idea of pastry arts came into play was going to be a multimedia platform that's specific to pastry and baking professionals um, or serious enthusiasts. Now, now, I had a couple of, I had a really big insight between those two platforms, and that was Pastry Arts took off like a rocket. Entrepreneurial Chef was very much pushing a ball uphill, right? We pulled <laughs> yep. out all the stops. Yep. And it wasn't until I had both, until I was managing, running both, that I looked back and remembered my culinary days. And that was this. In culinary school, typically... 
the pastry students were the ones that were more studious. They read more. They uh, paid a little bit more attention in class at times, but they, they were more mathematically inclined. They read more. They were just better with their academics as an average, right? So the pastry students, typically their grade, your GPA average was typically higher than the other, like culinary, we'll say savory students. Now, this, is, this was big for me because it, it was a, you got to know your customer moment because I started Entrepreneurial Chef, which was a magazine for more of the savory type individuals, yeah. not really remembering that they were not the types of individuals that enjoyed reading. <laughs> <laughs> they did not enjoy reading, right? They didn't yeah. have to. When you're when you're cooking food, uh, not baking, you don't have to. It's not an exact science. You can taste on the fly. You can adjust on the fly. Yeah. With baking and pastry work, it is more of a science. You have to read. You have to understand things. They are these individuals are accustomed to reading word for word. They are accustomed to memorizing, learning, having formulas. So this was the difference on why one did so much better than the other coming out of the gates. Right. Is because the customer, it was a perfect fit for the customer. Whereas Entrepreneurial Chef, a magazine is not, you know, for the savory chefs was not really, I'm not going to capture the mass market that way. Right? right. Right. It's more of a subset. So it was a very big know your customer moment for me that I had to think, okay, then I've heard, you've heard this before. You, the last thing you want to do is build something that doesn't, you don't have a market for, right? Product, and and you spend fit, all that right? time. That, that's exactly right. And that, that was a very big lesson. So what was going through my mind initially was just, uh, to be honest with you, it was, it was when I was starting pastry arts uh, with these individuals, I thought, wow, this is fun. I get to build something and, and I'm a creator. I like to build. I like to get my hands in <laughs> And I wasn't even thinking about that insight. That insight came afterwards, which now moving forward, that's on the forefront of my mind before I start building right. and creating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because you started diagnosing saying, why is this like crushing it? I remember we had Correct. conversations when you're like, dude, this thing is taking off. Like I'm, it's just going nuts. I was like, oh, that's amazing. And you're like, but I haven't figured out exactly what the, the reason is like, yeah. why is it doing so much better? And so this is, you know, time that Sean put in to diagnose and figure out, well, what was the real, the game changer? And that was that product market fit was better. But, you know, as we talk about brand blueprints, brand strategy, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, getting the identification of your perfect customer, but also the positioning. How do we position in the market for that perfect customer? That's what starts making that gives clarity on exactly what Sean is talking about. So we're really differentiating, getting that product market fit and knowing who we're talking to. So you could just see and that's that's one thing I love about Sean's stories. You could see the result of that. Actually, the stars aligning right there, you know. Oh, yeah. Can you I tell took us a, a little I took bit a... about the success of your of pastry arts just to give. And um, like a summit and some of the early success of your subscriptions. And also the other beautiful thing that Sean did as a smart sales guy is he set it up so that even before he launched Pastry Arts Magazine, he had advertisers lined up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the big moments for me was when when Pastry Arts was uh, a top 25 app. I think it was number 18 is the screenshot that I took in the app store. Yeah. Um, this little niche tiny little specific niche magazine 
was trending that high and you know yeah. we just just thousands and thousands of downloads uh that we were getting so uh it was very cool but the the reason is because we narrowed we narrowed our focus we had our customer really dialed in right yeah. we just had the customer really dialed in and that that was a very that was another pivotal point and in a lesson for me and anyone else is that you know you may have heard people say your customer avatar and and who are they and until you actually put paper to pen and kind of just you put out some thoughts as it relates to who your customer is the titles that they have where they work what they like you know and some of it is a guessing game that can be refined over time but you yeah. just have to start somewhere yeah. and that's what we did we started with what are their titles what are associations that they're involved with what other magazines do they read what products do they buy right and yeah. that's how we were able to back in to having such good success is because we were able to find either companies organizations associations things that fit with our customers and just really attack the market as a whole um in in what i mean by that and what you had asked is that we we started a summit right so we did a pastry summit and so this is where we had professionals and organizations record instructional videos so now that the first summit we did was in the pandemic we had we had over 20,000 people that attended that thing you know over the course yeah. of about 6 to 8 months it was an evergreen summit so it 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 didn't just have a particular set time we ran it for several several months um and to come out of the gate as our first summit and our our email list wasn't even that big at that point uh it just absolutely blew up right so yeah, we we've been able to grow it to where we've got a podcast, we've got the magazine, the site, uh, social media is pretty strong. We got about 230, 240,000 people that follow us there and then the summit. Now we do the summit every year. It's going to be an ongoing yeah. thing. We're we're planning for the 2022 one. So we we kind of grew from this tiny little niche magazine to now this multimedia platform uh that that's a a bit of a dominance in our small niche the niche yeah but yeah. that's the key right because now you're more visible you become more visible when you do dial into the group like that and you stand out to those people and i bet you if you were doing a brand strategy discussion and you're identifying your market with somebody and you're like hey you're going into you're doing this entrepreneurial chef so you're already a niche it's entrepreneurship for chefs and you're like oh that's narrow enough but if we proposed like pastry arts you'd be like oh there's just that's just not going to be big enough right but look at sean ran this summit and he had out of the first one 20 000 relevant customers that now have built up this business i mean that's a gigantic number for such a niche right so mm -hmm. and now every year that will probably grow 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 and you're going to have word of mouth you're going to have more revenue it's just going to be something that snowballs so that's just proof in the pudding of how impactful um that stuff is right mm -hmm. absolutely yeah 100 yeah 100 yeah, and and you know, back to that customer experience that th the thing that we're always thinking about is what is the experience going to be like? What is that? What is that flow? Right? Because the, the visibility of your brand is one thing, but then the back end experience has to match that initial like yes. visibility, that initial impression. So you may have an incredible yeah, I'll use a I'll use a storefront, right? You, you've got an incredible storefront on a store, a brick and mortar store, and you walk in and it's complete garbage, right? It's a mix match, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's kind of people are gonna look at your brand and perceive it one way. And and it's just it's so prudent to 
think about that experience all the way through, you know, having those consistencies all the way through. And, and that's what we do. I mean, we literally map out what is the customer experience of X, right? So the podcast has its own flow chart of customer experience. The yep. summit has its own flow chart of customer experience, the magazine. And then we have a master diagram that talks about, or not talks, but it shows how they're all interconnected, right? Both from an email standpoint, from a social media standpoint, from a, a Facebook group standpoint, how is it all connected together? What's the total experience? Where are the logos? Is all the consistent messaging there? It's just so important, even when you have a small, you know, we're not a multi, multi national corporation or anything like that. We've got a niche, a couple of niche publications, but that that are doing really well. And a lot of it has to do with that consistency and that branding, that experience that they get. Yeah. A company called Lithium did research and they found that when you have brand consistency across all touch points online, that alone can increase revenues by 30%, right? Because the experience is consistent. It's not confusing. And so you just get more out of it, especially when you're, when you're doing summits and you have 20,000 people and people are looking you up and going around online and stuff like that. So there's a lot of value in that consistency. But the other part of it is, and I'm always going to be tying this back to your branding because the experience is also a way you communicate, well, what kind of company is this, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's also telling your story of who you are, your values and all that stuff, which is where we really dig in on that brand strategy. So to Sean's point, I mean, guys, look at what he's done. He's mapped out all the different flows to make sure he understands the touch points, how are they interconnected and there's consistency, which is going to be really valuable for that experience. And what does that do? Sean gets reoccurring revenue. He gets word of mouth. And then that just elevates the business like substantially. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, And and like I said, it's so important on paper. It's easy. Remember when I said that it's easy on paper, the steps that, that, that I've taken, yeah, uh, it's you can you can map it out. Uh, the hard part is that executing. It's executing against emotions. It's executing against stress. It's executing against you know, the highs and the lows and all of those different things. But yeah, it, 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 it's not rocket science for sure. No, yeah. Well, you feel that way probably more now than you did five years ago. <laughs> so tell me, Sean, yeah. like based on now where you are and having you know, learned a lot through trial and error, failures, successes, all that stuff. Um, what is something that, you know, let's say somebody is, you know, still under a hundred thousand dollars a year, or they're struggling a bit. Um, just from your experience, I think people, you know, people get overwhelmed and they're not sure where, like with the decisions they're making, right. It's kind of like, yeah, there's a million things I could do. And you feel like a little bit like in the start, lost in the startup wild, if you will, mm-hmm. any, advice on, you know, how to just kind of find some comfort and clarity in, in just getting focused and focusing on next steps or, you know, stuff like that. Anything you would share with somebody? Yeah. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say most people do not create at least some type of business plan for the idea that they have. I'm, I'm going to say that confidently and people can prove me wrong it's if true. they want to, but yeah. most people do not do that, right? I did not do that. I was one of those people as well, right? And this is not one of those biases that I have that now I'm projecting because I didn't do it. Now I believe everyone else doesn't do it. No, I really think that this is the case, right? And, and, and I, think, I think there are stats out there that could prove this. 
that said, the reason why I, I did it, and I'll get to answering your questions, because I had a mentor who told me that I was like a butterfly flying around from idea <laughs> to idea, right? And uh, and that really stuck with me, right? It, it was kind of like an ego, you know, it, it was like a punch in the gut. And yeah. I took the SBA, a free, the Small Business Administration, their free business plan, and I yeah. sat my butt down and I worked and I worked and I worked and I created an official business plan, right? Now there's variations of this to this day. And one of them is the lean, uh, lean startup plan or the lean canvas, yeah, I think yeah. is what it is. And so I've also done one of those. Now I've got like a, a, a sauna board where we've got that. So whatever <laughs> it is that you do, uh, there is so much value in doing that right now. One of the things that I thought about that helped me back from doing that is that I just don't know for sure how to answer certain questions. I don't know how to answer projections and financials, you know, what's going to happen or whatever, <laughs> but at least you can take an educated guess and get it out of your head. Yeah. It's a hypothesis, that right? was the biggest problem for me is that I had idea after idea after idea swirling around in my head. And I was like this butterfly that was just going around from yeah. idea to idea yeah. and thought to thought. And I would feel overwhelmed. And the reason why I feel overwhelmed is because I'm trying to mentally keep track of all of these things in my head. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. is effing exhausting to do that. Right. Yeah. So the most valuable thing that I did, like I said, is I put it down and then I created an plan. official plan. You made a freaking plan, and, dude. And that, and that is simple <laughs> as it sounds, that, that's what did it for me. And that was really how it ignited me. That second step was that I got this from someone, I forget who it was, maybe it was like the guy that did, uh, his name's Dave something, but he did the, um, um, uh, the productivity, and it's not coming to me, but he did this whole productivity system. But anyway, regardless is that I do a weekly brain dump Right. So what I do is I, I literally write on top of my paper brain dump and yep. everything that's in my head. I just write it down. I don't try and organize it. I don't try and catalog yep. it. I don't put it in a hierarchy. I just do a brain dump and I can't tell you how freeing that feels because every idea, everything that's circling in my head, every meeting that I need to make sure that I'm there for every proposal that I need to get. I just get it all down every single week. And I don't care if yesterday I had like kind of created a list that already had most of this stuff on there. It's a habit thing. It's yeah. a habit thing that I stick right. to every single week. And, and what I can tell you is that it's so freeing to put all of those things down there and then you can organize it and then you can build your week around it and then you can execute against it. And, and those were the things that really went in hindsight that have helped me keep going uh, faster and faster and refining and executing against is because I just articulate those things out. Yeah. I, I've built this habit around getting things out of my head, relieving my mental energy. Um, and the last thing, there was one other thing that I'll say about mental energy. You don't realize how exhausting little decisions are in your life, right? <laughs> And, and, and I didn't realize this until I got older. I'm, I'm, I'm turning 40 in like, you know, nine days, which freaks me out. But um, it, all of the little decisions that you make throughout a day, they just eat away at this like willpower that you have, right? Yeah. And so when I started reducing the amount of brain power that I have in certain areas, 
that also helped me. So once I got to a certain point, I hired experts in whatever issue I was having. I was quick to hire somebody to get immediate answers as opposed to researching for an hour or two and figuring yes. out, could yeah. I do it? Yes. Could I save money? Yes. But what is the opportunity cost? Right. Yeah. And, I, and at some points you couldn't do that. Like I couldn't do that when I was starting out because I didn't have you know, the amount of money that I have now to be able to right. allocate to resources right. like that. So sometimes you have to do that. But yep. once you can kind of get over that point, right. Yeah. I encourage whether it's a coach, like I, I, I have a personal training certification. I grew up in martial arts, right? I know how to train people and I know how to train myself, but do I have a trainer? Absolutely. Why? Cause I don't want to think about it. I don't <laughs> right. want to think about it. Right. I don't want to spend any ounce of energy that I don't have to on things other than what are my most important priorities, whether it's my yeah. kids, my family, building my business. And so that's the other thing that was a game changer for me when I realized, wow, stop using your brain power and it's okay, right? And find answers faster, a mentor, a coach, an expert in a certain area, uh, whatever it's going to be. So if I were to look back now, those are the things that really, really helped me out, at least on the macro scale. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you did the planning and, you know, don't get tied up on like, there's many ways to do it. Like Sean said, you can have the canvas, you know, he went to SBA. Um, you can know what your goal is and say, what is the critical path? That's what I call it. Like we want to make sure we're doing things on the critical path to the outcome that we're trying to produce. Right. So it's like, you can map out, like, here's my plan for the next, whatever, uh, tw uh, 12 months. And my plan to get to this outcome is these things, anything else is irrelevant. Right. So it's like, you really want to map that out. And then, you know, every decision you're making has to be part of this plan and this critical path. So it kind of like reduces overwhelm. You do weekly. I do like daily, um, a daily planner every day where it's like, I know what I'm doing. Cause you're to your point, I'm only making a couple decisions each day. That's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and you're like, Oh, I got this list of to do's. I only could do like one to maybe three things in a day. And it just depends. So you start learning these processes. And I do love that you mentioned kind of like this journaling process because that kind of like brain dump and reflection, you really can think through things and, the only layer I'll add to that is ask smart questions. So you're thinking about the business, like, you know, instead of just being like, how do I do X? It's like, why would I do X and how do I get there? And you kind of like get a little more specific in the question. So smart questions always lead to much better results. So, and writing that stuff down, Sean, I think you hit the nail on the head that that brain dumping exercises super mm -hmm. cool. So we'll wrap up on that, man. I appreciate it. So where do people learn more about Pace Your Arts? Let's give them uh, some insights on, and direction so they can check you out. Sure. Yeah. You know, there, there may be a couple people that are in the audience that enjoy, you know, high level pastry or baking. Yeah. If that's the case, we're just, we're pastryartsmag.com. The Pastry Summit, technically, it's a, a free summit for four <laughs> days. And then we've got an extended pass, but you can see everything for free. That's pastrysummit.com. So just pastrysummit.com um, or pastryartsmag on uh, Instagram or Facebook. So they can learn a little bit more there, a uh, little bit more for professionals, uh, but serious enthusiasts, but we have a little bit more elevated pastry stuff. Me personally, I'm not really big on social media. I'm really kind of put myself out there. I'm on LinkedIn. So people tend to kind of connect with me on LinkedIn, but admittedly, I'm not even really active on LinkedIn too. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it's, it's, and then I've got a, I've got a secret uh, Twitter account that I don't really tell anybody just so I can kind of, you know, look and see what's going on. So 
cool. but uh, you know, you can always email through Pastry Arts if you have any questions to me uh, yeah. about um, uh, about this stuff here. Awesome. Appreciate you being here today, Sean. Always good to chat with you, man. Absolutely. Likewise. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into the Authentic Brand Mastery Podcast. Don't forget to stop by changecreator.com for more information, fresh articles, content, and our services if you're looking to build a brand that people love. And please stop by iTunes, leave us a five-star review. We appreciate your support. Thank you.